You're listening to a teaching series by Cross Culture Church of Christ. If you'd like any more information about our church, head to crossculture.net.au. Feel free to share this podcast with others, but please don't alter the content in any way. We hope you enjoy it. Hi everyone, my name is Abram, I'm one of the pastors of Cross Culture, and thanks so much for tuning in today to this online service. I wonder what comes to mind for you when you hear the word God, G-O-D. What images come to mind when you hear God? Many people have very different ideas and understandings about who God is, whether He even exists, and whether He's a person at all. Some people think God is more like an intangible force. Something out of Star Wars, for instance. Not something that you can actually get to know, but just this kind of spiritual presence that's out there and we can tap into it, but it's not really central to our lives. For other people, God is very, very important. Uh, God is someone you believe in and follow, uh, and you look to Him for guidance and to know how you're meant to live. Today, we want to look at a passage from the New Testament that helps create a picture of the biblical understanding of God. And we're going to look into that together today. Acts 17, verse 24 to 28. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. The Christian philosopher Francis Schaeffer once said that the word God can become one of the most meaningless words in the English language. This wasn't because he didn't believe in God or think that God was important. Rather, it's because so many different ideas and understandings can be included in the word God that we virtually mean different things, even though we're using the same word. This can actually happen with any word. Take for example, could you make me a cup of tea? Now, what I think about the word tea can mean something completely different to what you think. I might expect milk and honey in my tea, whereas you prefer tea to be green tea without milk and without any sugar or sweetener in it. We use the same words, but we can have very different understandings. Words actually operate like jars in a kitchen. Have you ever been in your mother's kitchen or your grandmother's kitchen or your own kitchen and you've been looking for something in particular and you go and pick up a particular jar or container and you're expecting something to be inside that container but it doesn't match the label on the outside. For example, you go and get a tin of coffee. You open it up and you're expecting there to be coffee inside but instead it's tea bags. Or you go to make yourself a cup of tea and you open up 
the container for tea and it's buttons. Just like jars in our kitchen, sometimes the contents of a jar doesn't match the outside label. Now with words like love and God and belief, all these big picture words, the contents can really vary. I think it's good sometimes to tip the contents out and examine them and ask ourselves, what should really be in this jar? What should really be in the jar labeled God, for example? In today's passage, that's exactly what's happening for this speaker. He was invited to talk to a group of Greek intellectuals about the Bible's understanding of God. That's what they asked him to do, to come and give a presentation and to tell them what he thought about what the Bible says about God. That's what we're going to be doing today, looking at this particular speech. We're going to be talking about the God of the Bible, what he's like and what that means for us. The passage that was read to us earlier was written by a man named Paul, and he was one of the first followers of Jesus. He'd been visiting the city of Athens and he was invited by this group of Greek intellectuals to share about the biblical view of God at one of their meetings. It's a bit like the TV show Q&A, where a bunch of intellectuals sit together on the show and discuss different ideas like politics and beliefs. This was the ancient Greek version of it, and Paul was going to be speaking. Paul starts off by describing God as being the one who made the world and everything in it. Now, this includes beaches, mountains, valleys, the stars, the universe. Everything you can see in the physical world, God is the one who apparently made it. I don't expect you to believe that just because I've said it, or we read it in a book. But there are some good scientific and philosophical arguments for believing that God exists and made everything. Take, for example, the cosmological argument. It's a simple three-point argument, and it goes like this. The first point, whatever begins to exist has a cause. If something starts to exist or suddenly pops into existence, we're going to ask the question, what caused it to be there? If a unicorn suddenly popped into the room, I would want to know what caused the unicorn to suddenly appear. I know for certain that I couldn't cause my own existence, and I'm pretty sure you know that you didn't cause your existence. There was a point in time when we didn't exist, but something happened and it caused us to exist. So whatever begins to exist, it didn't exist and now it does, has some kind of cause. That's the first premise of the cosmological argument. Point number two, the universe began to exist. Now this is at times a debated point, whether the universe began to exist or whether it always existed. But most of our scientific research currently indicates that the universe has a beginning point. That there was a point when the universe did not exist and it came into existence. This is demonstrated partly by the expansion of the universe. The expansion of the universe outwards indicates that it came from a particular finite point. There was a point in time when the universe began to exist and now it expands and moves outwards. The third point is that since the universe began to exist, then the universe has a cause. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. And so the universe has a cause. Well, what is that cause? It has to be outside of the space-time universe. It has to be incredibly powerful so that it can cause the universe. 
and it has to be eternal. It can't be something that exists within that space-time boundary. You might take these qualities and say, well, that could go in the jar labelled God. That God is the one who caused the universe to exist. When I go for a walk around a beach or hiking up in the mountains, or I look out into the night sky and have a look at the stars, I am often struck by the beauty of our world. I really do think that the world is beautiful. Some things in the world are ugly and some things I don't really like. But on the whole, the world is a beautiful thing and I find it fascinating. When I hear about guys like Elon Musk who want to travel out to Mars exploring the universe and inhabiting other planets, I'm filled with excitement. I actually don't think he's nuts. I really hope that one day we do have people living on Mars. I think it's an amazing thing to explore our world and to discover so much about what our universe holds for us. Why are human beings like that? Why are we curious? Why can we see beauty? Why do we want to explore our world? Why do we want to get to the top of a mountain just so that we can see the view? What drives those kind of qualities within us? I think it's because we are made in the image of God, a God who is a creator, a creative God, a God who is a person, a God who can speak and communicate. We're made in his image according to what the Bible says about human beings. And I think that's partly why we're curious, creative people who really love to walk around in this beautiful world. This relates to Paul's second point, which is that the God who made everything doesn't actually live inside of temples and buildings. This would have been a little bit challenging to the people who first heard Paul say this. Not that they didn't think there were gods who existed outside of buildings and temples, but they did think most gods lived inside of them. But the God of the Bible doesn't just live inside of temples and buildings. He exists everywhere. Now this is a really good thing for us because it means that God is accessible to us at any point in time. Imagine if God really did just exist inside of one building. Well, that would be awful for human beings, wouldn't it? Because if God really was known to be in one particular building, I'm pretty sure we'd all be interested to go and say hello, maybe get some difficult questions answered or a miracle performed. But of course, if God's only in one building, the wait time to get in there would be extraordinary. The lines that would be lining up to get inside that building would just be enormous. And you know what? Sadly, I think someone would probably take control of who gets to go in. And some of the most poor and vulnerable wouldn't be on the list. The God of the Bible is accessible to everybody and he's accessible to you right now. If you were to speak to God now, he would hear you. He'd hear your prayer and he cares about your prayer. God is everywhere and he cares about you. This brings us to Paul's third point, that God made human beings in order that they would seek him out and hopefully find him. God wants to know each individual human being and he wants to know you, he wants to know me. He made us so that we might have a relationship with him. When I was about nine years old, I wanted a sign from God that he cared about me and that he really did want to know me. I remember going outside one night and praying to God 
and asking for help with something because I was worried about a certain situation. After I finished praying, I remember looking up at the stars and saying, God, if you're real, and if you really care about me, send a shooting star right now and I'll believe in you. And then right at that moment, I really did see a shooting star fly across the sky. It was like God was waiting up there with a meteor ready to just burn it up in the atmosphere to prove to me that he existed. Of course, over time, that experience kind of wore off. Uh, I can't help but look back at that and think, maybe it was just a coincidence. That's part of the problem with experiential signs like this. Lots of people throughout history have cried out to God and said, save me from this situation. And then suddenly something miraculous happens. They're saved, but then their life doesn't change later on. This kind of crisis faith doesn't necessarily bring us to a strong belief in God and a strong relationship with him. God has actually spoken about who he is much more clearly and collectively to all of humanity. The New Testament talks about Jesus being God in the flesh. That is, he tells us who God is and what God is like. He's God's son. And so when we study the life of Jesus, we're actually learning about God, who God is. This is what impacted me most to become a follower of Jesus. When I read about his life, I was amazed by how he lived. I was inspired by his love and his compassion for people. And I was moved by the fact that he gave his life to die for me. The New Testament tells a story about Jesus with his disciples in John chapter 14. He's speaking with his disciples and they say to Jesus, Jesus, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus says to them, don't you understand? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How do we come to the Father? How do we come to know the Father? We have to go through Jesus. And that's essentially what Paul goes on to say towards the end of his speech later on. That the God who made us and everything and doesn't live in temples made us that we might seek him out and sent Jesus to be the one to lead us to God. I don't know about you, but I do have a little bit of extra time on my hands every now and then. And often I spend it doing things that I enjoy. Watching Netflix, playing tennis, just having fun. Each of us has been given a certain amount of time by God and a certain amount of choices to make in terms of how we use it. As far as I understand, I also only get one life here on earth. I'm not aware of many people who have been able to live on earth twice. And so I'm assuming that I'm only going to get one. In which case, questions as big as God's existence, the purpose and meaning of life, and whether he expects anything of us are questions that I think it's worth spending some time of our lives investigating. Even if it's just for a few weeks or a year, surely it's worth asking some of the most important questions that we can possibly ask as human beings. Through Jesus, God has spoken to human beings and he's calling out to us and asking us to return to him by believing and following in his son. In the story of Jesus, Jesus dies on the cross to pay the penalty for human wrongdoing. And he rises again from the dead. He promises that anyone who believes in him and follows him will also rise from the dead 
and have eternal life with God in heaven. I hope that today you might consider whether God is speaking to you, whether he's really spoken to us through Jesus, and that you might give some time to seeking him out and hopefully you'll find him.